0: Inconvenient, Adjective, causing trouble, difficulties, or discomfort. Truth, Noun, the quality or state of being true. When something causes us trouble, gives us difficulty, or produces discomfort, we avoid it. But what happens when we can't? What happens when those things come from our relationship with God? What happens when those things that are so inconvenient are also unavoidably true? This summer, we take a look at truths that we'd rather avoid. Truths about human dignity, sexuality, relationships, our work, and our money. This summer, we explore inconvenient truths. The rest of you, i invite you to take out a Bible uh, if you don't have one with you. I'd love to tell you the text is all in your order of worship. it's not. We're jumping around too many places this morning. And we'll be up on the screen. And uh, you're feel free to, to uh, take notes as you will. If you don't own the Bible, there are a few on the back table. That's our gift to you. Please go grab one either now or later. But don't be here without one. Uh, we, we think it's important to have the scriptures. Because those alone, it's Jesus' words alone that are life to us. So um, this summer, we are ordering our lives as a church, our corporate life, around passages and truths from the Bible that, quite honestly, we probably wish weren't there. I said last week that the one thing you can be assured of in relationship with others is a challenge. Right? I don't care whether that relationship is with your parents, with your kids, with your spouse, with roommates, with other uh, you know students in school. Challenge is going to be there. That's true of you and me, how much more would that be true of a relationship with God? In fact, I would argue that if you've never been challenged by God, you're not really in a relationship with him. You think you are, and, and many of us have gone through those periods. But if he's not challenging you in some way, shape, or form. I'm not sure it's a relationship. Okay? Last week we began by looking at human dignity. That every human being, every every person is created. God, it challenges our pride, because it shows that we're the image, and not the original. Right? But it also gives us great dignity, because we are unique in all of creation, and that we are God's image, and nothing else is. So we saw that that is true of all humanity, no matter gender, no matter race, no matter ability of person, all humans are created in the image of God. And this is the basis for things like, like human rights. Like, uh, like the value of persons, things like that. Like our culture as a whole wanting, wants to eschew the idea of the image of God and is then left with no foundation for human rights, no foundation for human dignity. We just kind of fuck it out of the air. You can't say that you're no different than the ant. And then argue that every person has the right to everything from happiness to in the internet. You can't have your cake and eat it too. This morning we look at one of the implications of this Christian doctrine, Christian doctrine of humanity being the image of God, the imago game. One of the implications being the value of humanity. So let me pray for us, and then we'll get into a bunch of different texts this morning. you pray for, you. Lord? As we come, I'm um, gonna know. Which is, I know that this is gonna be hard for a lot of us this morning. And so I pray that you would soften our hearts, keep our ears open. All the things that make we're gonna to want to make us run away, whether literally or just metaphorically, we pray that you would be present, that you would speak to us, and that you would preach your gospel to us, Lord let Christ and His work come out, let the money feet fall away. For you alone, you the Lord hold the word of eternal life. And so speak to your servants of listen, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Alright. Um I just alluded to it, but let me, let me just be honest, let me put it on the table. The next 30 minutes or so are going to be a little harder, okay? Uh, they're not going to be easy for any of us, I don't think. Myself, least of all. But they're difficult, we need to hear it. What I will promise you at the end of the day is that this will not be a political storm. Okay? You're, very, you're not going to hear those from me. And I hope, frankly, if you don't shut down, may end. The reason I'm saying all this is because the notion of human dignity, the notion of the image of God, is the basis for Christianity's ethic towards so much. It's what drove the early church to be the ones who cared for the sick during plagues. Because during ancient in the ancient world, the Roman Empire, plagues would strike the city and and all of the all of the the wealthy, the influential, pretty much everyone who had the ability to flee, they would run to the countryside, leaving the sick, sometimes leaving. Dying family. And the ones who would care for them, the ones who would help them, would be the Christians who stayed. The Christians staying no matter what their social standing. It's what drove that. It's what drove uh, people like William Wilberforce to see the end of the slave trade in England. It is what fueled the march in Selma. And it is what drives Christians today to care for the marginalized. It is the doctrine of the image of God that, that drives Christians to to a voice to the voiceless, and so this morning we will see how this relates to the truly voiceless in our society—the unborn. Outlining both of the goals is best helpful. We're going giving and relating, we're going to look at answering and autonomy, and we're going cross-shaped response. okay? Trying to stay with you as we get to giving and relating, I'll be you something. You just talked, I just said the word unborn, right? So all of your alarms are going off. Some of you are like, I think today to visit the church? Really? Today. I know, right? All of your alarms are going off. So let me be clear on something. Nowhere in the Bible will you see the word abortion. Doesn't occur. Nowhere in the Bible will you see a specific command against terminating a pregnancy. It's not there. Right? We'll just get that out of the table. It's not there. However, for the vast majority of the last 2,000 years, and by vast majority, I mean like 1,940 of those years, Christians have been opposed to the practice. One of the earliest Christian writings ever, after the New Testament, is called the Didache, which in Greek means teaching, teaching, the teaching of the Twelve Apostles. This very book commands Christians not to do this. So why? Why do you be witness of the church, not just, in not practicing such a thing, but, but more importantly, That the the early church and and other systems have sought to care for these kids who who society deems as unwanted. Why? To answer that, we have to see how the Bible talks about the one who gives life and value. We're going to start with Psalm 139. If you're familiar with this debate at all, and some of you are, you'll know that this is is used a lot. Christians will often quote Psalm 139, right? Because there in verses 13 and 15, it says that, for you were formed in, for you formed my inward parts, so you knitted me together in my mother's womb. Right? You get the, you get the picture. The psalmist, the, 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 the writer is, is writing about God forming and knitting him together. I'm not a knitter, maybe some of you are. I, I, I'm pretty sure that there's a lot of skill involved, there's technique, there's diagram, you know what you're getting into. You start. This is a picture of God at work in the womb forming a child. Now, some of you think, come on. Okay mean anything. Fair enough. Okay? Fair enough. Granted, it is poetry. However, it's not like the idea that God creates all life is to found there. Take John chapter 1. John chapter 1 verses 3 to 5. Okay? John chapter 1 verses 3 to 5. Speaking of Jesus it says this, all things were made through him. And without him was not anything made that was made. Now, certainly, this is arguing for something bigger, right? Something, something bigger than just God creating life in the womb. But arguing for the greater or the lesser, like all things means all things. He creates all things.
1: See, the, the biblical command
0: against murder, whether that be uh, of yourself or of others, is based squarely on the fact that God creates life and if God creates life. It's therefore, it's His to do it, not ours. We have no right to do it other than what He has told us. And what He has told us in regards to human life is what we saw last week Genesis 1, 26. And then then again in Genesis 9, 6, when He says, Let us make man in our image. Let us make humanity in our image. The image of God. That's something unique about humanity. And then in in Genesis 9, that it is in fact because of God, of man being made in God's image, that those kind of commands are given. Humanity is created in God's image, in God's image. Every human being is in God's image and greatly valued. So this explains why, frankly, when you come to the Bible, you see there's no instance where, where our is, in Just a premises is in a negative thing. Does having children are created freedom? Yes. Absolutely it does. But even asking that question assumes a couple things. A, it assumes that, that we are free to do what we wish to do in the first place. And B, that this should be our chief value. Somehow freedom is our chief value. But in the Bible, we have to understand the creation of life is always seen as a positive. Always. Without exception. But here's where the rub begins, right? I mean, at what point do we define a person? Isn't that what we've constantly gotten into with this debate? At what point do we define a person? At what point are we talking about actual relating Again, the Bible doesn't explicitly answer this in the sense we want it. I think most of us would really love it. It was like the book of first Americans. And it gave us like all the lists of all the little things that we had in our peccadillo and we wish it said explicitly. But there are strong implications to be made on what it does say. First, we have what David says in Psalm 51. If you're not familiar with King David who wrote Psalm 51, you love him. His life is jacked up. Like this guy is the guy after God's own heart, but he was messed up. If there was anyone who could actually disqualify himself from being a relationship with God, it would David? On, on David's rap sheet, you'd have adultery, you'd have murder, you'd have the fact that he'd turn a blind eye to, to uh, the, the assault of his daughter and let his sons deal with it. And yet, God showed him grace and eternity from these sins. And then, in, in Psalm 51, verse 5, it says this. He says, Behold, I was brought forth in an and he soon my mother conceived me. Okay? What that last line means is not that David's mama had, a, had an issue. That's talking about David himself. And then in, in chapter 58 of Psalm, Psalm 58, verse 3, it says again, the wicked are estranged from A Estranged from who? Estranged from God. They are estranged from God. And then in the New Testament, Ephesians 2, 3, Paul tells us that by nature, we all, all of us, not a few of us, not the bad, as opposed to the church folk, Every one of us, by nature, children of wrath. Here's why this matters. All of these, and there are more, we simply don't have time. Tell us that sin is something that is true of us from conception. It's true of us from the womb. How is that even possible? Listen, if you're a parent, you know how that's possible. Because you've seen them. They're not as innocent as they look, right? And if you don't believe it, like, if, if you don't have, kids, you've been around enough, you can go to any of the local elementary schools. You can even come to this one. This is a Christian school, right? And you're gonna see kids. Not as innocent as they look, right? That's that strikes us wrong. But the Bible is clear on this. Humanity is broken. As humans, like when humanity began, we didn't begin that way, but but are now that way. And and not just a little messed up, but desperately in need of rescue. Here's why this matters. Human. When we hear the word sin, we think bad, right? We think primarily judicial categories that, that sin is something that's about like breaking curfew, curfews, breaking rules but in the Bible sin is a relational category. It's a betrayal. It's breaking a relationship. It's judicial certainly but it's judicial in the same way that adultery is judicial. It's the breaking certainly of promises, breaking of a covenant but also the breaking of a relationship. Here's the thing. You relate to persons, not to cells. God relates to persons, not to cells. If you were in this category for the womb, that means that God creates persons in his image in the wombs of women. That is what he does. So yes. There is no command. Let's be clear. There is no explicit command in scripture to not end the pregnancy. There are no commands like that, one, because such a thing would have been unthinkable, since you and the Bible children are seen as a blessing. And two, because there doesn't have to be. Because there's plenty of commands to not kill people. It's kind of like now the Bible doesn't have a command not to steal the pastor's car. Which it doesn't. Right? Sitting right out there. On sonata. I know all of you are aching to get wobble bugs. It doesn't have a command to, to not steal a master's car because stealing is forbidden, period. It doesn't have to. So let me summarize this before we move on. The Bible says all of life is created by God, not by us. It teaches that human life is especially precious because we are made in His image. And nothing else is, and it teaches that God creates persons, not collections of raw material, and so any biblical protections offered to persons must also be offered to children in the world. Now, my guess is, there are any number of things happening right now in this room, right? The first is a fervent desire to get out of Dodge.
1: Right? And again, like some of you
0: are literally thinking, like, I cannot believe I chose today to visit this place. Some of you are like getting evil eye of the person who brought you, and you're like, seriously? Trust they didn't know. I promise you. But probably not. We I mean, had some of them, good, but most of them did The only thing that, that, that might happen today that would fulfill your fears of church more would, would be if I started pounding on something, turning red right in the face, rail on the sexually immoral, pass the collection plate, all at the same time with some kind of southern drawl, right? If that were all happening, go, checkmate. This is exactly what I thought church would Okay? But try not to check out, because we're far from done. Okay, that's the first thing. The second thing is a bunch of, well, what about, right? The well what abouts, that's what I call it. Many disagree agree with much of what I just said, but the what abouts create a trump card that cancels out the Bible under the rubric that it can't relate to today's complexities. Things are complex. Things are very complex. But the Bible does speak into it. So let me cover some of those whatabouts, if I may. Okay? Stay with me. The first whatabout is normally running to the extremes, right? We love to run to extremes. We think, well, what about when the mother's life is in danger? Or what about when, in cases of sexual violence, like rape or incest? These are awful realities. Let me, let me be very clear. Those are awful realities, not fictions. Sometimes when Christians that are talking about this stuff, they make it seem like, oh, that doesn't really ever happen. It does. It's awful. And we should grieve over those sins, Okay? That's said, These are awful realities. But the issue of sexual violence in these cases accounts for slightly more than 1% of all abortions. Cases where the mother's life is at risk are, like, around 4%. And that includes ectopic pregnancy, which many people don't even consider under that rubric for Right? Another 3% are carried out because of health problems in the baby. That leaves roughly 93% of abortions that are due to social concerns. Social concerns, like, um, I'm not ready for this. Like, um... I have my life of me, like my, my career, like school. Like what will old people think? And that's 93% of roughly 1.2 million a year. So before we run to that, what, what about? Let's not pretend that when we run to that, we're boring with 4.5%. That's all it is. Okay? Those are complexities. I wish we had time to deal with all of those, but I want to deal with the vast majority. Then we have the argument that goes kind of like this. Rick, you can't legislate morality. You can't. Come on. I don't like it, but I can't force my opinion on others. First off, all we legislate is morality. Okay? That's all we legislate. You, You wouldn't argue that if we were talking about killing adults. Okay? You wouldn't argue that if we were talking about theft. Those are morals. And they are morals that we very much do legislate. Listen, I know that I'm going to step on some pills, so I am sorry from the get go, but sometimes I think we need to be shocked out of this. I am pretty sure that there were plenty of Germans in the 30s who thought Jews were nice and they would never kill one person. But then the real one about has to do with the oppression of women. At least that's the narrative. And this is one that most of us, I think, culturally, we get the most of. And it's the hardest one for me to speak to, because I don't know if you know. I'm going to do, right? The thought goes like this: This is my body, and I have a right to decide what's done with it, All right? That's that's the general pattern. Let me speak to a couple points of that. First and foremost, um, I believe truly that the, one of the reasons in why this is a hot button issue, or and, and in some respects, even for Christians, in evangelical context in which we can we can send away our check to a local crisis pregnancy center, or we can we can have a, a fervent I don't know say me of life Sunday and then go on the rest of our lives not thinking about this is because babies in the womb are literally invisible we don't see them we see a woman's body literally that's why it's easy to think that that statement is true right however I've had four of them. Right, well I have my wife has had four of them. they're wonderful not a single one of them with part of the body. They all have their own DNA, spliced with mine. If you don't believe me, let me stand them right up here and you can look at them. Okay? They have their own DNA, their own blood type. By eight weeks, they have all their organs, fingerprints, and can feel pain. Okay? And secondly, you know this. You and I do not have heart wants to do whatever we want to do with our body. If you decide, this is my body, and tonight I'm going to sell it, you will go to jail. Or, in a more humorous note, if you were were to decide to yourself today, I'm going to leave this building right now, and I'm going to go over to Jesseville Park, where the Park is going on. I'll show them some art. I'm going to strip naked and just start running around. My body, I have the right to do whatever I want. Okay, Someone, very much like Vinny, tackle you to the ground, wrap a blanket around you, know, and they'll have you fall okay? So, Jimmy's a cop, I guess, right? Because so then when I hear like, like what am I, creepy? I I'm going to say Jamie, but he's playing for us now, so it doesn't matter. Like, anyway, but, Look, we have expanded oppression in our society from violent acts, which very much parts of words, right? That's why we have this PC culture. To now thoughts and beliefs are being considered oppressive. But listen to me. Listen to me. I really want to think about this. Who does abortion truly liberate? Because my argument would be not women, but men. How many men today are now, are now absolved of any responsibility towards their sexual actions? decide whatever you want. We, we have placed the full weight of an existential decision that way on the on the backs of women. Some of them girls, whose parents aren't even allowed to speak into them. Can you tell me that 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 relieves them of oppression? The men, the guys, has done it again. Slipped in and made it seem like aren't we the great liberators of ourselves? And lastly, the one about of uh, inevitability, right? We're going to do it anyway. We're going to do it anyway. We might as well make it safe. Think of me. Would you see the same with slumlords taking advantage of the poor? Because they've been doing that for an awful long time. But we might as well make it safe for slumlords. We wouldn't want them hurting the other people in the neighborhood. I mean, they're going to do it anyway. Would you think about it in terms of killing in general? Well, they're going to kill each other what we should do is build a big arena in the middle of our city. And that way they can do it there without any potential of harming anyone else. The Romans thought of that. By the way. Of course not. Yes, it will happen. But the goal is not to make it easy. The goal is to make it hard so that we can save lives.
1: And so at the end of the day, and I think
0: This is honestly put very well by Mary Elizabeth Williams who wrote an article in the, in the January 23rd, 2013, in January 23rd 2013 on Salon.com not a Christian okay not at all she says this and I, I'm going to, go to peace deal if you want you can look it up later if you want it's called um, it's called so what if? abortion in life she says this Yet I know that throughout my own pregnancies, I never wavered for a moment to believe that I was carrying a human life inside me. I believe that's what a fetus is, a human life. And that doesn't make me one iota less solidly pro okay? Then later she says this. Here's the complicated reality in which we live. All life is not equal. That's a difficult thing for liberals like me to talk about. Doesn't we wind up looking like death panel loving killing your grandma and the person's baby's storm Yes, she used to be a human life without having the same rights as a woman whose body resides. So she's the boss. Her life was was right for her circumstances and her health should automatically trump the rights of the non-autonomous entity inside her. Always. And then she concludes with saying this. I would put the life of a mother, and by that she doesn't mean help, she needs opportunities. She said said says that clearly in the paragraph before. I just didn't have time to it. She says that I would put the life of the mother over the life of a fetus every single time. Even if I still need to acknowledge my conviction that a fetus is be a life. A life worth sacrifice. That is stark, right?
1: And i don't care sure where you sit in, in terms of your, your position on this view. That probably sounds really stark to me.
0: Like, ooh. I just think it's honest. At the end of the day, for men and women, this issue is about the cult of self. Do you realize how ludicrous this is in our country today? Do you realize that a woman could be driving in the car on her way to an abortion clinic, get T-boned by a drunk driver, and lose the baby, and that driver will be charged with fetal homicide? But if she had made it the other ten minutes to get there, a doctor would have done the same thing and nothing happened. You realize that when I go to the beach this summer in July, if I mess, if I even disturb the sand around sea turtle eggs, I will get a fine. But if I were to take my life to the bushing, plant, most of our culture will applaud Christmas. It is ludicrous because all that ultimately matters is me. And listen, I don't say this in beauty women. Like I said before, I think this practice does more. To, about this is more about men and women. It's ultimately about our desire to be our own boss, our own god, to call the shots, and to behold the to one. And the only way we do that, the only way we've ever done that, as humanity, is to say the one for whom we are arguing against is not entirely human. All life isn't exactly. Human. Remember what I said last week. This is the first step we always take towards oppression. And to me, I don't know. I do. But it sounds like the same garbage that you read in Nazi propaganda or that free fifths compromise stuff that was going on in this country. It's garbage. What Williams is arguing for? She's arguing that women for women to flourish. A life needs to be sacrificed, and frankly, she is right but this is the baby. It's the Son of God. Now, before I get to our response, let me say that there, there are at least two different possible Maybe more than three. I'm going to make three responses that are going on right now. The first is shame. Okay? Because stats tell us that one in four women by age 45 have had an abortion. It means that there are, there are women in this room, more than likely, who have gone through this. And, and that's not even counting the number of men that have pressured women into it. Some of you are And what you are tempted to do right now is to devolve into shame and into thinking that this isn't the place to that God doesn't want you here to be. To me. You are wrong. Listen, I threw out the word murder earlier. Uh, and it would be easy to think that that means that we think you are unwelcome. And that is not true. Let me tell you what the Bible says about certain folks. You know Moses? Pretty great in the Bible. Red Sea, all that stuff and people go. Moses, he was a murderer. He was a murderer. And God rescued him and used him to rescue His people from slavery. David, talk about him. David murdered one of his bodyguards so that he could have his wife. God rescued him and called him a man after his own heart. Paul, the Apostle Paul, the guy who wrote most of the New Testament, a self-professed murderer who God rescued and used to plant His church throughout the world. And in one of those letters that Paul wrote, 1 Corinthians 6, 9, 11, Paul gives this big list of bad sins, bad folks, bad things. You can hear, you can see the red faces and what? It's not pounding, right? And after giving that list, he says this, and such were some of you it's not written to a stadium. It's written to a congregation. And such were some of you. In other words, these are church members. He says that you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and the Spirit of our God. Here is the point. If you are tempted to move into shame, I'm here to tell you, you cannot, cannot out-sin God's grace. You cannot out-sin the cross of Christ. Don't run to shame because Jesus died for sin. Sinners, not good people? Not church folk. Died for sinners. The ground at the foot of Jesus cross is level, and so that is why Paul says where sin increased grace abounded all the more. You cannot out sin. You need Jesus, and so do I. But you need him no more or no less than I do. By faith, we are giving Jesus perfect record before God. And our sin is dealt with in his death. So what did Jesus? The second possible response isn't shame, it's pride, which I think is probably more likely in this room, because someone's feeling right, right slung right now, right? Because we feel justified, finally, after to sin, what do be you think? You. Yeah. Like, that's, that's where we're at. <laughs> to you, I would say this. Jesus had some things to say that those who laid up burdens on others' backs and did nothing to help them. He said they preach you they don't practice. So if you want to go tell women abortion is murder and they did nothing to help them, you're doing the exact same thing. You're laying out heavy burdens on the backs of others that you will lift no finger. You care about life, all right? You care about enough to make it someone else's responsibility to care for. You. Your job is done once you send that check. Here's the good news, though. Jesus died for your self-righteousness, too. See, don't you see, Jesus' harshest words were for those who didn't see themselves as bad enough to need. Or at least, well, I mean, I know I need no but maybe not as bad as those. Those people made those bad choices, made those, by, those vile sinners. they made those irresponsible life. But listen, we are all the same. We are all sinful in need of a Savior. Maybe you didn't make those choices. Or maybe you did, but your story ended differently. Pregnancy right, wasn't part of your story. So what? Listen, give up on your supposed goodness. Look at Jesus to see that you are just as broken as anyone else. So we have shamed, we have cried, the last time I was talking about the anger because some of us have thought we could ride the fence, we could be anti-abortion, pro-choice. I've said, So far, to do that is like turning your face away from the weakest and most marginal in our society, and look powerful, new, people for their own good. This is our whole series, right? Some truth is It's very inhuman. The reality is, though, that Jesus is enough for all of us. The gospel has got to shape us into a people who look like Jesus, who challenge the status quo, right? He did it. He prayed out against it, but was also willing to give his life to see others flourish instead of letting them go their way. Our indifference, friends, is sin. But Jesus died for that sin. Now, having said that, let me enlarge our concern. I know I'm going wrong, so parable. You see, the parable that Pat read earlier about the good Samaritan, I think, speaks clearly and, and informs our posture towards this issue. Because the Samaritan in that in that parable didn't just rail against the evils of highway robbery. Nor did he go to the governor and seek for more police in the road to Jericho. i when he's patching up the dude's wounds and loading him onto his dog, he's probably railing internally. I can't believe people do this. And I'm sure he would not have argued. With more police, to help stem the injustice. But what he did instead was he gave himself. Too many evangelical churches proclaim pro-life messages and think that that they are done by convincing people of sin. You want to be pro-life, and I think Christians should be. And instead of ticketing, at the very least, in addition to it. We should be doing what we can to help those babies those women who have made those choices to live so here's my challenge to Holy cross today okay, comes in a couple of ways
1: at this church we are invested in two different areas
0: that can be ways to live out this posture the posture of the good Samaritan in regards to the unborn. the first is this, the first is fostering and adopting. okay I want every family in this church every household and yes I'm talking about you because I'm talking about my own as well. Every family, and every household in this church, to be praying this week, maybe even fasting over it, to ask the Lord if He would have you foster for a god. Everyone. Else. If He says no, then ask Him how you he can help others to do that, whether that's financially or by helping those families with childcare or whatever. Okay. We're not a big church. We're not. Look around. We're not a big church. But we could put a big dent in the number of children in our community who at the very least feel and perhaps society has told them are unwanted. They are not. They are the of God. That's first. Second, in addition to that, I want every family in this church, including my own, that means you, to be praying and thinking about how God is calling you to help with the ministry of young moms. Okay? This is a ministry. If you're not familiar with Young Moms, it's a ministry of teen moms uh, directed by our mentor Lester here in the valley. Who, who ha- it's a ministry of those those girls and their babies who have chosen to keep their babies. They need help. They need encouragement. Some of them need a home for them and their baby. Some you are like, Whoa, whoa, whoa! Hold on now. That's commitment. Yes, it is. That's good Samaritan life. Not everyone in this, in this room is going to be called to do that, but I'm willing to bet some of you are. I will be shocked if I don't hear stories in the next few weeks about how you feel anymore. Others are going to be called to mentor team moms and dads. Not just moms, but dads too. Uh, some Still, others are going to be supporting financially those who are doing these things or mobilizing those who perhaps can be financially supportive. them. The question, friends, is not whether we should be involved, the question is just how. The question is just how. There's two forms of mission in our own community to speak to what we've been talking about today. How will you be involved? Let me wrap up. What would it look like if this church put our belief in the dignity of humanity and our belief in the free offer of the gospel into practice by seeking to see the margins of our city? by caring for children that others can't, by sacrificing our own life situations, our own comforts, our own quote-unquote rights, so that others can flourish. You know what it would look like? I think it would look like God's kingdom coming in power. Let's pray that that would happen. Let's pray right now. God, in the midst of this inconvenient truth, first and foremost, I want to thank you that no one got and ran out. right now. But I pray, Lord, that you would be with us no matter what we're feeling right now. Whether it's shame or pride or anger that you help us apply the gospel to that. Because, Lord Jesus, the gospel is for every person in this room and every person outside of this room. And none of us more than others. And so we need you. We need you to work in that. We need you to work in our own hearts. We need to put aside all of the slogans and mottos that run through our heads, whether from one side or the other, and help us to go to your word. And no matter where we are this morning, I pray that you are putting in us a desire to see the weak and the helpless cared for, whether that is unborn babies, whether that is their moms who can't financially care for them. We're letting the story. In our church and in our city, there is no child who has a label like own God. And they are in your image you greatly desire. So Lord, give us grace to hear your word and to put it into practice and so make a beautiful community to that. Amen.